out, do not hold back. Lift, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sin. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to blow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading today from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs 
is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. The Gospels are a great deal like the Wizard of Oz. Bear with me here. We did a fun activity a while back, a Bible study that some of you may remember. We were talking about the Gospels and how they're so similar and yet so different. We have four of them written by four different authors that are mostly the same, but there are some, some differences in them. And so I had people fill out worksheets asking different questions about a movie that most people have seen, The Wizard of Oz. And the questions were things like, who are the main characters? What is the basic plot? What are the most important or memorable scenes? What are the best quotes from the movie? What is the point of the story? And people worked in groups of a few people each, and it was fascinating to hear the dialogue that was happening around the tables. Everyone except for one person had seen the movie, but everyone had taken different things away from it. And even the one person who hadn't seen the movie had enough second-hand knowledge of the movie to participate in the conversation. And when we came back together to discuss the answers the groups had come up with, there were some questions that were all answered pretty much the same. Everyone could agree on who the main characters were for the most part. Some of the secondary characters kind of came and went, but the main characters were the same. The basic plot was pretty close for each group. But when we started to talk about things like the most important scenes and quotes, things started to become a little more debatable. And some of the quotes that were listed were quoted a little differently from different groups. So groups quoting the same quote didn't necessarily quote it identically. And I don't think that any two groups had the same thing written down for what the moral of the story was. In the Gospels, we see a similar thing happen. We have separate people who were all privy to the same events, but they're different people. So what they write down is different. Their priorities for writing it down are different. And even within the same gospel, sometimes we get events that are edited for length or perhaps speeches that are combined together in a kind of highlights reel. So it's probable that the Beatitudes didn't all come from the same source. In other words, Jesus may have said them at different times. It doesn't make them less true, it just gives them a broader scope. We tend to make them kind of narrow or fluffy, but they're bigger than just one list of do this and then this will happen ideals. Which is why it's important to note that there's a sort of breaking point or a pause in these blessed bees 
between the ones that are there for comforting us and the ones that are there to give us a mission, something to do. Because that's what they are primarily about. They're a brief outline of our mission and purpose as Christians. Last week, we talked about the comfort that is given in the first three Beatitudes and how that is what spurs us to action. The next few weeks, we'll talk about the action that Jesus tells us to go out and do. This is action for the here and now that affects the here and now. It's not the things we do to be good people. It's not the things we do to get our ticket to heaven, but the things we do to make God known to others because of the grace and comfort that we have found. These passages are giving us a way not just to feel happy or blessed in the next life, but how to be a happy, holy blessing to others in this life. The kingdom of heaven, also called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ, depending on which translation and which gospel you're reading, is a common theme in the gospel of Matthew. And it's a word we tend to take for granted in today's church. It's one of those Christianese words that we like to throw around that don't make much sense to somebody new or people who aren't from church. But in the gospel, this is a revolutionary idea. It isn't just talking about heaven, some separate and pretty place for later. It's talking about God being ruler of everything. When Jesus says in other parts of scripture that his kingdom is not of this world, he is not talking about his kingdom being somewhere else. He's talking about it being something else. His power is unlike anything from this world, and it turns this world upside down. I'm not saying there's no heaven. What I'm saying is that we do our faith a disservice when we see heaven only as some separate place we go when we die. We take away its power when we separate it entirely from this earth. The idea of God having a kingdom that doesn't affect us here and now has no teeth in it. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes is one that we do not have to wait to see. We can see it, or we can't see it fully here, but we can see it. We can live in it. We can be a part of it. Not fully, not completely yet, but it is here. Jesus isn't talking about cause and effect here in the Beatitudes. He's not saying, do this so that. He's talking about what sort of people bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth for him or with him and what that looks like. The first of these, here's how you can bring the kingdom of earth or kingdom to earth beatitudes is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. The Greek word usually translated into English as righteousness is one of those ones that doesn't really fit neatly into English. Especially in modern English, we tend to think about righteousness as a spiritual quality, a personal quality, a state of self-discipline and good behavior. And there is certainly that element in the word, but there is a much more earthy feel to this Greek word. Dikaiosune. 
My Greek dictionary defines it as the quality, state, or practice of judicial responsibility with focus on fairness, justice, equitableness, fairness. It's not just about self-control. It's about responsibility for the well-being of others. You could translate this verse, perhaps, as... Good news for those who hold themselves responsible for the well-being of others around them, because in God's kingdom that matters, and they will see others thrive. We went to see the movie Black Panther last night. I told you it made it into the sermon, Mark. He asked me how we liked the movie last night. It was an excellent excellent movie. I wouldn't take little kids to see it, but older kids are perfectly okay with parental discussion on either end of it, perhaps. And getting your kids or your grandkids or your students or neighbors or whomever to talk about it should be no problem. We had all of our kids, ages 9 through 27, in the car, plus one extra teenager, and they were all talking a mile a minute the whole way home. Discussion was not a problem with this movie. Now, I'm about to talk about the movie, and I promise there are no spoilers here. I'm going to paint some broad brush strokes, so if you haven't seen it yet, you can keep listening. I promise you won't get any, I can't promise you won't get any spoilers if you ask my kids about it after church, though, so please use caution in discussing it with them. The Black Panther is a superhero from a fictional African country called Wakanda. This country sits on a mine for a very rare and powerful metal that has given them access to technology that is far beyond anything the rest of the world has. This metal has also seeped into the local plant life and created an herb that gives special strength to the one who eats it. The Wakandans recognize the power and the danger inherent in this sort of powerful discovery So they keep it to themselves. They stay tucked away in the jungle, letting the rest of the world assume they are just another poor African country. Keeping Wakanda separate from the outside world and the outside world separate from them is their way of protecting themselves and of the world. But while they are hiding away, trying to keep their way of life untouched by the outside, the people around them are kidnapped and shipped around the world as slaves. Even though they see it as keeping the world safe, the countries around them plunge into poverty and war. But there are those who realize that there's so much injustice in the world, especially against people of color, that Wakanda can no longer stay tucked away from the world hidden in the jungle. They have to get involved somehow and begin to seek righteousness in the whole world, not just in their own tiny corner of it. Some people who take up the cause of trying to get Wakanda to reach out beyond its borders do so in extreme and outlandish ways, because this is a comic book movie after all, and you have to get bad guys from somewhere. But at the heart of the movie is this struggle between hungering for righteousness and maintaining the way of life that most of the people are used to. This movie has one heck of a timely and powerful message for a comic book movie, brothers and sisters. Jesus cares deeply 
about people in hopeless situations, my friends. Their salvation matters to God. Their well-being matters to God. God has not left people to just wait for heaven someday while we stay protected in our own borders. The answer to poverty is not to say, well, in heaven there's no money and all will be fair. The answer to unjust systems in our country is not to say, that's just how it is, but one day we won't have to worry about it. The answer to suffering is not to say, God will help you through it and then walk away. We have the most powerful, life-changing, world-changing, strength-giving thing in the universe, the assurance of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We cannot sit within our own boundaries trying to maintain our traditional way of life while the world crumbles outside these walls. In doing that, we give the enemy a way in, and we put the whole church in danger. We cannot put fear of change or fear of other people or fear of anything else ahead of our duty to be bearers of God's love and justice and compassion in the world around us. Righteousness is about owning our responsibility for the well-being of others. God works today through the church, through us. Yes, there are miracles. God works supernaturally sometimes, but most of the time, God works very naturally through people. God works through people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, through those who recognize their responsibility to and for one another. Amen.